Hi, I'm David Murray from davidallenmurray.com. Today, I'm speaking with Jade Mountain. Jade has almost 20 years of experience of coaching, leading and lecturing and shares her experience of running ultramarathons, the importance of using positive language to help motivate yourself and others and shares her top tips on how to prepare and deliver great learning content. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. This helps the podcast reach others who might find it useful. Thanks a lot for listening. Hey there, you're listening to the David Murray Public Speaking Podcast. To find out more, you can visit me at davidallenmurray.com. Hello, welcome to the show. Today I'm speaking with a very special guest. My guest today has almost 20 years of experience of teaching, lecturing, leading and coaching. And luckily for me, she's agreed to spend a little bit of her time for me to interview her on the Public Speaking Podcast. It's Jade Mountain. Hello, David. Thank you so much for inviting me today. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today and uh, to agree to have a chat on the Public Speaking Podcast. My pleasure. I spend a lot of my time talking. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, so do I. So, Jade, if you don't mind telling us, what do you do? Uh, I head up a digital team uh, in a university, so it might sound peculiar that I'm here talking to you about public speaking, um, but most of my life uh, and my professional life has involved me working with students or managing large teams, um, and much of that involves sharing information or trying to get people to do things they don't really want to do, and uh, I've had to be quite canny with how I use language to try and achieve some things that I've needed to achieve. Yeah, so can you give an example of some of the things you've had to achieve? Um, well, when I was at the chalk face of, of, of lecturing and teaching, I had to try and get students to learn, which isn't always very easy. Um, I think we often think that people's brains are, are just there to be filled up, and so you just have to talk at them, and that's not at all how it works. You have to think about the kind of language you're using, uh, the verbs you might be using, the questions you might be asking people um, in, in order to get them to to take on the, the, the knowledge and be able to apply it rather than just to, to have it fill up their heads. Yeah, and that's from the student perspective. But I know now that you head up a, an organisation in terms of sort of the digital media side of learning. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm involved in. Pr predominantly, I need to make sure that any output we make is is top quality. But that's just the end result. My day to day job is is much more people focused um, and not you know sat in front of a computer all the time. And how does that differ the job that you do now from the you know your past of actually being in the lecture room? Uh, I tend to work more now on a on a one to one or a small group basis. So I'm not in a lecture theatre with dozens of students. But the premise is the same. Um, you're trying to share information with someone in a way that is enjoyable, that motivates them, but also, more importantly, you're wanting them to go away and perhaps be able to do something with that. Um, so you've got to think about how you're structuring your language, how you're sharing information, what questions you're asking. 
So it's interesting you say that because you, you mentioned language there and questions that you're asking. Can you give me a bit more insight in terms of what you mean by language that you're using in terms of this, in terms of that business context? Okay, so in a business context, uh, if you if I was writing a report this week, um, and what I could have said was, without this, if you're not doing this, uh, or if you don't intend to do this, we will fail. Um, but what I did say is, with encouragement from members of the team to do this, we can be successful. Um, and that was a much better spin on things. It was still entirely true. It was just a different way of looking at it. You know, the, the old glasses half full, glasses half empty are both versions of truth. That's true. And I guess that you have to have that or have that conversation or have that kind of communication with somebody with a position of authenticity as well, don't don't you? You, you do. I mean, I, I'm, I wasn't, I've never sort of not been authentic, but I just think I've just realised that there's a much more positive way to go about things. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and using that sort of positive language is one way to do it. Is there a connection between the kind of positive language that you use in a business context and with language that we perhaps we can use ourselves when we're trying to encourage ourselves to do something that we're not comfortable with? Absolutely. You know, it's about treating others as you would be treated yourself. Very few of us are motivated by harsh words and criticisms and threats. Um, so why would we give those to other people and expect them to perform for us? Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, there's that, a very old saying about, you know, the, the donkey will move for the carrot or the stick. Uh, sometimes you have to use a stick, but most of the time the donkey will get a lot further on the carrot. Who doesn't want to be motivated and encouraged to achieve a, a goal rather than threatened and, and nervously moving towards achieving it? And I know that, just quickly, if we can touch on that, you've got some sort of sport, sporting credentials haven't you uh, now hopefully I'm not sort of giving anything away there but I know that you're an ultra marathon runner is that right I have done a few ultra marathons yes and I wonder have you ever sort of connected what you talk about and your kind of passion for kind of the use of positive language in a business context is there a way that you also reflect that in the training that you do because having somebody who's run a marathon and it almost killed me I don't I can't imagine doing a marathon plus a marathon plus a marathon as you've done how do you how do you how does the language that you use upon yourself help you manage something like that it makes a huge difference and it wasn't something that I used to be skilled in doing but I didn't know I needed it um I used to spend a lot of time telling myself how hard this was and how much I wanted to stop and how much it hurt and then really what I started doing what what I think is very good practice whether you're communicating with yourself or other people, which is ask questions. So are, are you really tired? Can you really not put one foot in front of the other? Is it really hurting? Is it, where's it hurting? You can't breathe, are you sure? Well, what's your heart rate on your watch thing? And I would ask myself those questions, quite rational reasoning questions. And that made a huge difference. Um, and then I also used a lot of positive language. You, you are, not just you can do this, not just you are doing this, but reframing it to I am doing this. I can do this. Um, and that put me in a very different place mentally. And whilst I, I can't at all underestimate the, the physical training for ultramarathons, so much of it is in your head because you want to stop a lot. And how important then is when you're doing, whether it be in a business context then or 
in your sporting context to set a goal. Now, does does setting a goal encourage you more in terms of does it give you more motivation? Will your language be different because you set yourself a goal that you want to achieve or does it not really matter? I think it depends on the individual. We all set ourselves a goal, let's say it's to finish the race. So, some people might say, you need to do this because if you don't, you've wasted your money, you'll let everybody down, you'll look at an idiot, you'll have failed, you'll have just wasted the whole day. Um, or you might say to yourself, you can do this. Um, and even if you don't, that's also okay. Um, why don't you just break it down a little bit? Let's just, let's just go for the next five minutes. And let's, just, let's just see what happens then. Really great to hear your way in which you kind of frame and use positive language. I think that's something that perhaps we can all do. So if you're going to give us one top tip, so for example, one top tip when we're going into perhaps our next big thing, maybe it's a something we're not overly comfortable with. It might be a marathon. It might just be a presentation at work. It might be that we're running a coaching session that we've not done before. Would there be maybe one top tip for going into that? Oh, I'm only allowed one, David. <laughs> okay, give me as many as you like, but as long as it's not more than 55. Okay. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> so my first top tip would be to give yourself permission for it not to be perfect. Um, because no one else is expecting you to be perfect apart from you. Um, no one else is going to be disappointed. No one else is going to... Um, think any less of you. And it's really, really hard to, to think that. The second is always to focus on what you have done. This is about that reframing. Yes, yes. Too often we think, I didn't do that. I should have spent longer on, the, on that. It's the I should have game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the should have, if only, we, we've all been there. Rather than, I have done this. I can do this. Um, so it's just that change in reframing of the language. Exactly. It's something that I catch myself out doing and I correct it quite a lot is even just simply sometimes when I want to go for a run in the morning or perhaps I'm not feeling particularly motivated to do it. The night before, I'll tell myself I should go running tomorrow. And that's actually quite a negative because I'm not really making any commitment. So the more positive intention I put in terms of something that I really want to do that was going to make me feel good beforehand, I actually makes me more motivated to do it. So turning should into will is, is an example of kind of changing that language into something that's more positive for ourselves. Would you agree? Absolutely. And, and saying awful things like, I need to make this right. I yeah, need to make this perfect yeah, exactly. is horrendous. Whereas I can do this is lovely. I can do this. I don't think there's a more positive affirmation. It's like a hug. Yeah. It's, a, it's a hug to yourself. I can do this because that's such a, a you genuinely believe in yourself when you say I can do this. So those would be my top tips. Obviously, there are lots more, but those are the ones that come to mind. Thank you very much. Another reason why I got you down here today is because I know you're an expert in learning design. And perhaps some people who are listening are possibly coaches. Can you give us any insight into the process that you go through in terms of delivering effective learning content? Absolutely. Um, it feels quite formulaic, so do forgive me, but it's served me well so far. Yeah. Um, 
I always focus first on my learning outcome. What do I want people to be able to know or do by the time they finish their time with me? Now, this could be in a meeting, this could be a presentation, or this could be in a training session. Yep, um, yep. Once you have those, and I, I, and I try to use quite creative verbs, so do I want people to be able to describe, discover, list, observe? The moment you start using those, it really brings the, the learning to life a little bit. So I get my learning outcomes in place first. Then I think, what is it that I need to do to make sure that they can do this at the end? Yeah. You, you put the audience at the heart of, of what you're doing with them. And I know that in public speaking, um, you talk a lot to me about yes. what do the audience want? Because yeah. it's not about you. That's it's about true. what do they want? Because if we focus on ourselves, people switch off. So what, what are you giving to them? What are you bringing to them? How are you reaching out to them and involving them in your journey and your story? You're absolutely right. And it's something that I have a lot of, I put a lot of emphasis in now in terms of the coaching that I do and the speaking that I do is you think about your message that's got to be number one but then you've got to think about how do I make that relatable to the audience and I'll hold my hands up and admit that when I started out running my coaching sessions my public speaking coaching sessions for example because I was so passionate about it because of you know the positive impact public speaking had on me I would tend to do the things that I enjoyed and overall it worked but it was only later that I realized I needed to put more emphasis into what people's own reasons and purposes felt for being there because they weren't the same as mine. I might have had a you know, positive change personally through, which was enabled through public speaking, but a lot of people aren't necessarily going to, onto my workshops because they want to become um, leaders or they want to become inspirational speakers. Some people just want to deliver a best man speech or they want to go to a wedding and deliver a great speech for their sister they don't always want to become motivational speech speakers so it's actually delivering content that's relevant to the people who are actually there is that does that make sense it's, it's customer centric public speaking ironically even though you're speaking you're the, you're the passive one it's about them being active the audience being actively engaged whether they're actively doing something like in a workshop yep. or whether they're actively listening and and absorbing what you're saying and applying it to themselves yeah it's true and i guess you can always ask people but say you've run a, you've run a session however that is whatever that looks like is at the end of it what's the best way of ascertaining from the learner if the objectives have been met for that session for them from their perspective you can ask them uh, if you're delivering knowledge and understanding, so let's say that you might be talking about one of uh, uh, something like the power of three, which yeah. I, which I think is a, a fairly common concept <laughs> it is, it's in public about speaking. A lot. So you might introduce that, and people don't know what that is. And at the end, you might say, "Okay, so on a scale of one to ten, how confident do you feel now going okay. out and using the power of three in a speech?" I would suggest if most people say they're at a three or a four. You might now say to yourself, okay, so either they were incredibly nervous at the beginning and they have made some progress, or maybe I've just not covered something. Maybe I could go over that again. Maybe I need to spend a bit more time or do something differently yeah. next time. Or you get people, so you're getting that sort of self-assessment. You, you could give them a, a formal assessment where, where they might come out and do something and you might judge them yeah. against this criteria. Yeah. Okay. Something that I've seen a lot, lot of lately is coaches using video for their their workshops or they call them i think webinars or online seminars and so forth now a lot i mostly run my sessions on in classrooms 
And maybe like other people are thinking, well, can we use video as a, another means, another medium to run sort of coaching sessions? What's your view on video versus traditional classroom learning? I'm glad you asked me that because increasingly we're seeing people in all walks of life, trying to move their business that would traditionally be face-to-face online. So we're even seeing, you know, doctors doing uh, consults um, over over FaceTime and things like that. Um, I would say approach this with caution. Um, a, a very People are very, very often tempted to simply put what they do face-to-face into an online space. Um, and that simply just doesn't work for the customer or the client or the, the student. Um, because video is very passive. Um, we're all guilty of that when we go home and put Netflix on. It's a, it's a passive experience. So if you're going to put any uh, learning content online for your customers, you need to think about where the pitfalls are. Those are more often than not, you've got to ask yourself, what can't my customer or client do now? Uh, because they, they're not actually in a room with me. And that's likely to be things like they can't give me feedback to tell me they're bored. They can't yeah. tell me they don't understand. I can't read their face. I don't know if I've lost them. I can't give them feedback. I can't assess them. Um, and you also need to ask yourself, in my experience, where do people normally fall down? Where are the gaps in knowledge? If you don't take any of this on board and you just talk at a camera, um, you're going to lose You're going to lose customers. Simple oh, as great. that. So if you could sum up... The one thing to avoid and the one thing to do from a, if you're designing video content as a learning intervention, one thing you should do, one thing you shouldn't do. Oh, let me have a think. One thing you should do, it's probably the same thing, in fact, don't think about yourself. It's not about your video. It's what about your customer or your your client does with the video. So by all means, tell them about the power of three, but then set them a task where they have to practice it. They have to write something. Learning is in applying, not just listening passively. Brilliant. And then one thing you shouldn't do? Shouldn't do. Yeah. One thing you shouldn't do is try and be someone else. Uh, We know from the rise of of vloggers that people aren't too fussed about the production value. So if you um, if you are, if you look up or you have to use notes, so be it. You are a human um, and people like humans generally. So don't panic too much if you mess it up. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good point, actually. I don't know about you, but certainly when I was producing some of my earlier videos, all of a sudden it, felt, it was quite a different experience for me because I felt that there was this light shining on me and all of a sudden, my goodness, I'm going to get stage fright in front of a camera. You feel really on the yeah, spot. Yeah, you do, don't you? Well, you, I think because we're used to seeing video of um, you know Hollywood movies where they've done 25 takes yeah, yeah. and it's flawless and we realise it's really hard and, and I probably shouldn't say this but if you if you watch see some of my earlier instructional videos I think in some of them I don't blink for a few minutes <laughs> it's almost like I'm like got, you know, I'm scared I'm staring at the camera I must remember my words my lines and but Again, with these things, it comes with practice, doesn't it? You get more comfortable with these Absolutely. things. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with having a script and there's nothing wrong with having to stop yeah, and regroup. Yeah. So it's okay. So you're, I guess what you're saying is, is video is a great complementary to the classroom. However, I guess use with caution or use it in a different way. Yeah, just make sure you're applying uh, the, the sort of some of the basics that we talked about earlier. Something I like to ask everybody I interview is, is there something that you know now, something that you've discovered over the course of your professional career that you wish you'd known all those years ago when you started? So 
something that you know now that you wish you'd known when you started? I think I would have just liked to be able to tell that person then, although they knew, I know they wouldn't listen, that it's not about you. Um, it's not about how well you speak, how loud you speak, what you speak about. It's about what your audience hears, what they feel, um, and, and whether they are engaged with what you're doing. The moment you realise that you don't matter, it's incredibly freeing, and you focus on the thing that does matter, that's the other person. Whether it's the manager that you're trying to persuade, or it's a colleague you're trying to share an idea with, it's all about them. Oh, this is it's absolutely right. And that helps you get out of your own head, doesn't it? It's just so freeing. It really, really is. But also it means that you, you start thinking about the language. What, what do I say to them to appeal to them rather than what, what, what am I saying so I look good? It just really changes the dynamic of, of how you speak. Yeah, it does. It really does. Thank you. Mythbuster. I know that you've stood in front of probably thousands of people over your time in your career, lectures in terms of lecturing, in terms of the coaching that you've done. Is there anything that people think will happen when they stand up and start talking to an audience that never does? Is it something that we all fear might happen when we're presenting, when we're speaking, when we're coaching? Something we fear is going to happen but never does. That myth, what is that? I would say if only you realised how little anyone else cares about what you're doing, you'd just be amazed no one notices the stutter. No one notices the sweat on your upper lip when you forget. <laughs> no one notices that you've gone off on a tangent. And that's not because they don't care, but they're not wearing the critical goggles that you are. Yeah. And the moment you realise that people just want to hear your voice and hear your story rather than whether or not you can pronounce a word properly, you will just soar. It's true, actually. You reminded me of a, a funny story when I started out my public speaking. It was a, an impromptu session and I had to talk about pizza or something like that. And I got really hung up on because I couldn't remember one of the ingredients of a Hawaiian pizza. That's probably one of the most... It's only ham and pineapple. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> and it really affected... I thought, my goodness me, they must think I'm really silly. Uh, but it didn't matter. Looking back, it didn't matter. But at the time, because I just started, I thought, well, I can't remember that. Oh, I'm no good at this. But as you say, it doesn't matter, does it? It, it really doesn't. Yeah, no. think Hawaiian pizza. <laughs> <laughs> the lasting memory. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for your time today, Jade. It's been an absolute brilliant. I've learned a lot and there's a lot of great takeaways for everybody listening today. And I guess the last thing for me to ask is if people are interested in finding out a little bit more about what you do, is there a way they can do that? Absolutely. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm quite easy to find. So if anyone wants to reach out, I'm there. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for today's show. I really hope you've had as much fun as I have. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Speak to you next week. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit me at davidalamari.com.